All right, today we have a special guest on the show. I've been kind of keeping it a secret from Ed, and I'm hoping he may or may not know. Ed, do you know who the new special guest is? I, I have an idea who it is because, you know, you kind of gave me some information to prepare, but I'm not certain. So I told my wife two names just in case because I want to be able to say, hey, look, I was right. Oh, yeah. So she knows, but you, but you ain't telling me yet, huh? No, I haven't mentioned it to you yet. We're going to see if I'm right. All right. Well, we'll find out. Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. So today, we have our special guest we talked about earlier, and you heard Ed. He thinks he knows who it is, but he's not sure. Ed, who do you think it is? Go ahead and let us know. So I think it could be uh, Stephen Shives. All right. Or or the Bearded Ninja. Well, Ed, we're going to let the special guest say hello to you so you can find out who it is. Go ahead, special guest. Bearded Ninja sees all. <laughs> I have a pretty good idea that it was him. I didn't even need to bribe him with yeah. Kinder Eggs. <laughs> Yo, there we go. Yeah, because you just told me the other day you sent some in the mail for his daughter, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, I wanted this to be a good, uh, especially you know, a, a good one for you uh, to get to ask some questions. You don't even work for the guy anymore, so although you know, we'll lead into that as we go. Uh, but we'll, we're, this is going to be like a normal interview. We're going to kind of go through and talk to uh, the bearded ninja, as we call him. We got also like they they call him Rick. We've heard. You know, as the audience, you've all heard of us talk about him probably almost every other show and uh, who he is. So now you're going to get to find out who the man is behind the beard. Uh, <laughs> but first thing is, is so Rick, you were you were born in NYC. Yeah, I was born in the city. Uh, originally a city, city guy, moved south and joined the army. Moved south. You were South Carolina, wasn't it? Yes, South yeah. Carolina, uh, suburb of uh, Charleston. How old, how old were you when, you when you moved? Uh, 14. So you had experience in the city and what it was like. Oh, yeah. Traveled the bus system, the rail system, all around the city. Okay. So basically, you totally understand, like, going from New York City lifestyle to what it's like to be in South Carolina. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it probably changed you uh, quite a bit, huh? Yes. Uh, I think that the outdoors made me a different person than the city life. Absolutely, yeah. Ed, you got anything you want to start asking before we get too deep into that's, it? That's uh, that's some culture shock, though, right? Going from New York City into the South, like that. I mean, I went from Washington D.C. Uh, area, and then I went to you know Fort Benning, Georgia, and I went to Fort Sill, and it was a culture shock. But New York is even faster than D.C. So, what was something that was super significant that you remember being a big culture shock for you? Uh, the ability to have everything that I want at my fingertips in the city. But when I moved south, you had to have a car to go somewhere and do something because it was a suburb. Okay, yeah, because I, I mean, I didn't get a driver's license till I was 24 because, you know, in D.C. you didn't need it. So, yeah, I would, uh, I, I would say so. Yeah, same in, in – I never got a driver's license until I got to the south. I couldn't drive, and then when I went back to the city, I would just get on uh, 
the subway and go anywhere I wanted around the town. So it was a little more independent, a little more uh, free flowing. But when you move south, you have to get uh, your parents to take you places, your friends to take you places. I'm dreading that day. I, my kids is not old enough yet, but I'm dreading the day where it's like, dad, can you take me here? Dad, can I? I mean, I don't really, it doesn't bother me because then I don't know where they're at, but I, I can only see. But in the city, it's just like, hey, I'm going to go. And then you guys are probably gone, right? Right. Um, so you join, what, what, you okay over there? Do you fall on their desk or something? Uh, no, I just knocked over something. It's fine. <laughs> all right uh so so with that you joined the army in what year around 83 1983 uh ed do you remember 1983 buddy uh 1983 i was in sixth grade <laughs> yeah i think i was four years old <laughs> so so there's a lot of experience sitting here and you know all those years of conversation we never talked about like what year he came in so 1983 you joined yes. um and you came in as like an infantryman. Yes. Okay. And then later on, as you as you progressed through the ranks, uh, how long was it before you actually went to get the old uh, arm tab? I was in the army about eight years before I got the arm tab. Uh, it was a perk for me after I came off drill sergeant status that uh, I went to airborne school, went to an airborne unit. And then as soon as I got to the airborne unit, they sent me to ranger school. Okay. Oh, so you, I mean, it was, then it was rather recent then in your, from uh, the time you joined? Eight years. Yeah. I mean that, well, okay. So you kind of had your, you had your army legs underneath you and you kind of knew what it was like. All right. And with that, what was the challenges you met? I mean, obviously you don't talk about the, we don't tell about what goes on, but the challenges, your personal challenges you met through that progress. Oh, uh, the biggest one by far is swimming. I didn't know how to swim, so during the train-up to go to school, I had to learn to swim, and the way we learned to swim was we got a 50-pound uh, box in the middle of the pool, and you had to say the creed in the deep end, <laughs> and if you don't know how to swim, it's kind of hard <laughs> to float or anything else. Yeah, Ed laughing on the other. He's like, there's no way. As big as Ed is, there's no way he should be doing stuff like that. Right, Ed? Yeah, absolutely not. And I can't picture, you know, I can't picture him doing this city boy, went to South Carolina. I mean, he wasn't going to swim anywhere in the city because who knows what he would have contracted. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just swim out to Staten yeah. Island. Who knows, you know? <laughs> Wow. So, so that was your, your biggest challenge. And how did you actually come overcome it just by just keep repetitively doing that? Or I got in the pool every morning at five o'clock every morning at, uh, in the afternoon and then in the evening in between training. All right. So he basically, he, he was very persistent in such, um, and I, I can tell you, we have a lot of people that listen to them that they, they, they also have goals like that and they try to meet, um, what, were you guaranteed to go to this school? Or is this something that you were able to, to add on to down the road? Well, and, and that's a funny question because I was told I would go. And then after the first two weeks of training, there was a pool set aside, came up to about $1,500 that didn't think I would pass the test to be one of the 25 that we sent because I couldn't swim. 
All right. And it, for you listeners, what we're, the school we're talking about actually is Ranger School. We, uh, we obviously didn't bring it up that much, but Ranger School is the, the, the primary school. And that's kind of like why we – it's weird why we came up with the name. I can't – who came up with the name? Do you remember, Ed, who came up with the Bearded Ninja? When I got to the academy, that was like one of the first things. And so I do know kind of where it came from, but I don't know who the originator was. Yeah, and I remember – and and we'll jump back and forth on these things. I remember specifically being uh, being told, "Hey, you never know when the bearded ninja is going to sneak up behind you, and you'll not know he's there." And that's and so that's what happened to me. So I, I tell the story to him all the time about you know we. So we're supposed to evaluate when a student gives an answer, and uh, he must have been walking perfect timing past my classroom. You know, the doors closed, and. I go, that's absolutely correct. And the door flies open and there he is. And he goes, and that's absolutely perfect. And then the door closes and he's gone. <laughs> and so I told the guys I was working with and they said, that's why he's the bearded ninja. <laughs> that's right. So that way, uh, audience, if you if, that way you kind of get an idea where this came from. But what... Really, we're gonna jump back to because he went to he went to this ranger school and he and he you did you serve in like a a, a position we're not gonna talk about specific positions but in a position where you got away from the ranger school because you ended up going back and being an instructor, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I did all the infantry stuff, platoon sergeant, first sergeant. Uh, worked on special assignments. Really, uh, a myriad of different leadership positions that helped me develop a style that I continue to use today. Oh yeah. Well, we definitely can tell. And then, then you ended up becoming an instructor for that particular school later on. Yes. Let me ask you, what some of the challenges you found in that? I think the environment was something that was a challenge to me because we're out in the middle of the desert. There's limited resources and we have to make the mission work regardless of weather uh, student capability, uh, resources that we had at our hands. Okay. So it definitely, it, it, it took you from being that student mentality because you already knew what it was like to be a student. Now you shifted over to be, um, to basically be an instructor and then you have to look at things completely different. Yes, absolutely different. What you got going on there, Ed? What you think? Well, you know, uh, for me, and I've never even thought about going to ranger school, uh, it just seems like desert phase had to have been one of the most difficult uh, uh, portions of Ranger, you know, the Ranger indoctrination uh, to me anyway. So I was wondering if he had like a funny, just he couldn't believe what he was seeing story from when he did desert phase that he can share. So one of the greatest ones I, it was, it's funny to me anyway. So you walk out of base camp and for 10 days you walk away from the lights away from the lights of the city of el paso you're walking away from the lights on day 10 you turn and for the next five days you're you're walking towards the lights so we tell all the students that walk towards the lights if you're walking towards the lights you're walking in the right direction well this one particular student decided that he wanted to walk away from the lights on day 12. And we let him walk away from the lights. <laughs> <laughs> How did you monitor? Were you monitoring him or where he was going? Oh, we, were, we were part of the patrol and we let him walk away. And we walked about oh. 10 clicks in the wrong direction. 
before we fired him. Fired him? <laughs> fired him on the spot. No way. Changed out leadership and gave them a new azimuth and course direction. And we went in the right way. <laughs> the funny part of all this is that there are 52 students and no one made a course correction. They just walked blindly in the wrong direction. Oh, so that does happen in the army then, what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we, we do what we told, but sometimes we do it so well that we allow ourselves to take on an extra burden. Yeah. You, you would think that if we say walk towards the lights and you start walking and it's black, it's pitch black, you don't see any lights in the horizon, you go, hmm, let me check my map, make sure we're going the right direction. No, nobody. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that can be, uh, I bet you that was probably eye-opening for him, but also the rest of that group. Oh, no problem. Yeah. for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so you went through that. Um, now, you, you ended up, uh, you, you stayed on, you stayed on uh, that particular assignment of being an instructor of Rangers for how long? How long did you all usually do that? Uh, I was there about two years. So about two years. And then, you know, and obviously that was, was that a fun two years or would you consider it just kind of be like, uh, it was taxing? Oh, it was a great two years. Really, it was excellent. And well, I mean, and, and that can, I mean, there's different types of jobs we take, and because before that, before that, you were a drill sergeant, correct? Correct. I was, uh, well, I was a drill sergeant for two years as an E five, and then I went to Italy, and from Italy, I got promoted E six, and then I went to Ranger School. Oh wow! Yeah. So, so you, listeners, what you're hearing, I mean, you're hearing a level of just building up, building up, because you you did the drill sergeant school. And then you did, you, and then you were, you, you were a drill sergeant, and then you were a ranger instructor later on. I mean, and then after you finished the ranger instructor piece, because we're going to shift over, you did you come to Campbell? No, I went to Hawaii, and I was a platoon sergeant and a squad leader in Hawaii, and then I took over as the chief of BNOC in Hawaii, uh, which oh, wow. is now what you would call ALC. Okay, so you were, then you were a part of uh, uh, an NCOA long before you were a part of the one now. Yes. Okay, so those of you, uh, we've mentioned before, the NCOA is a non-commissioned officer academy, and it's where we, we train our young enlisted uh, and, and even later on enlisted, uh, you know, to become better leaders, and it's a leadership training school. So you did that, you did the BNOC, and then you, uh, and you finished their time there in Hawaii, and then you moved to... Uh, I came to Campbell. Mm-hmm. And I was a platoon sergeant and a first sergeant here. And then I went to Vanderbilt to be an ROTC instructor. Once again. So you were training people again. Yes. What's that key phrase you like so much, Ed? Uh, I learned it from him, actually. Lifelong learning. Absolutely. And that's and that's all I'm hearing right now. Like everything I listen to. And that's it's funny because we've... We've had so many deep conversations in his office. I actually, I actually tell him he's my therapist, my unpaid therapist. So <laughs> it's like every day I go and see him now. Well, you're not there anymore, Ed, so I have to go see him. <laughs> Lifelong learning is definitely taking a key role in his life and what he, and how he's kind of you know pushed himself because you think about it. He was you know he was a drill sergeant. He, training young, brand new soldiers how to be soldiers, and then you know later on after he got his ranger tab, he was a ranger instructor teaching those basic skills and and those finite skills that rangers need to learn. Then later on, he becomes a a, a BNOC instructor, which is teaching more NCOs how to how to become better leaders. And then he does the GROTC thing at Vanderbilt, which teaches young officers how to become better leaders. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's groomed 
so many leaders throughout his life so far. I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds of thousands. It has to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if it's that high. I'm, One of the things I, I think we're missing in here, though, is not only did I get a military education, but I got a civilian education, too. So I got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, and then I got a master's degree in forensic psychology because I learned that I had to stay ahead of the game the entire time I was there. And what was it that was going to make me successful uh, in the future? Yeah. And, and that's, but that's just showing that not only did you, do you, did you have to teach people how to become better, but you had to do, you had to basically walk the walk, talk yes. the talk, whatever you were saying, you had to walk it. And I, and I had a mentor also who did the same thing. He said, you have to be able to improve. What do you got, Ed? Yeah, so so I worked for, for him, and one of the first things I was told before I even really took a seat was, you're going to go to school. I mean, I was already in school, but it wasn't optional when you work for him. You will go to college. Uh, uh, the young lady that worked with him before me, she's gone on and, and got her degree and through his encouragement. So that was one of the big things for him was pretty much setting yourself up for, there's something after the Army. And uh, and he always gave you lots of time for homework and all that good stuff. So he's always been very focused. But my question is, how did you not get a degree in education? I think the real question, the real answer to that question is, you have to have a passion for something. So I was passionate about the criminal justice system, and then I became passionate about how the mind works. So that's why I went in that area. Don't get me wrong. I love teaching. I love education. I think it's the backbone of everything that we need to do. But my focus was on the mental capacity. So it was a subset of education. Okay. Excellent. Would you definitely? I'm sorry. That's you're absolutely correct. Oh, that, yeah. That's, <laughs> and those of you, when you hear Ed and I say absolutely or absolutely correct, that was kind of one of those things that was bred into us when we first showed up. Because actually, where we met. Uh, Rick was in the course that he teaches that Ed worked with him before. And this is the time when is during the time when Ed went through his mishap um, that we all kind of met each other and linked up. And I, that was goodness. That was over four, almost over three years ago. And we're just continued to build this relationship as we've gone along. Um, I can say it, you, not only has Ed been an influence to me, but also Rick has too, or they like to call him Rick Ranger uh, from what I hear. Okay, the, influence, the influence goes both ways, though, because you guys have influenced me, too, to change my tactics of how I deal with people. So there's a way that I can deal with an E6 or an E7 or an E8. Because of the generation gap, sometimes we forget that mm. one way doesn't only work. Maybe there's another way to get to someone to get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, that only comes down to understanding that person and then communicating in that effective manner. Because you know, uh, one person they may deal with, they may be able to handle you being direct and saying you will do this, do this, do this. Versus another, they just want you to talk them, talk to them, talk them through it, kind of give them an idea. So absolutely, and influence in so many different ways. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah. So and and I don't even feel right calling him Rick, but and Rick. So <laughs> what I what I seen from working with Rick is. So we talked about on earlier episodes, uh, manipulation is part of influence and, you know, manipulation gets a bad rap. I've watched Rick manipulate somebody because he understands how their mind works so well 
that he gets the desired end result that is a benefit to him and them. I've seen him, and it's like watching, I guess it would be like watching Yoda from Star Wars. It's like a Jedi mind trick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I've seen him do it. He goes from a ninja to a Jedi. So the guy that worked with me and then the female that works for him now, Sarah, I've seen him do it to both of them. And make them think, yeah, this is absolutely great. And then at the end, they're like, oh, I see what he did. He got me. (laughs) I got me. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, really, too, Ed, I mean, wouldn't you say that, like, the birth of this particular show in itself probably came from what we've learned all together? Yeah, I definitely would. I I would. And then also, uh, you know, the relationship that you and I built starting in his classroom, uh, probably plays into a big role of where this show started. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many different times have we sat in when I had uh, that office and we sat in an office and it's like, we brainstorm up some of the most amazing training schemes. And we're like, well, this will work. You know, Uh, we just talked about it uh, not too long ago. We were talking about uh, influencing change in a, in a episode before. And we talked about how, you know, we went through this whole scheme to build the change of a new curriculum, but it wasn't like we built it for one month. We built it over almost a six, seven month period. Yeah, no. And then so you can even go to another episode we did. Let's talk about the leadership capital episode. So I'm going to tell you that uh, working with Rick, he gives you so much time to take care of what you need to take care of that when he asks you to do something that's labor intensive and it's going to take you a lot of hours. You don't care. You'll do it because he's built that capital up in you through how he took care of you leading up to him asking you whatever it was, whether it's build a 8,000 slide uh, blackboard presentation or to, <laughs> or to train cadre on a bag of artifacts, whatever it was, you know, you didn't mind because he put that time into you. Well, I think that one of the other pieces of this also is not micromanaging. I think that micromanage gets a bad word. If I check on you, that's fine, but I don't have to stand over you to do everything because when you were, if we want to use the word motivation or manipulating, if you learn the person and you know what they do well and you give them things in their wheelhouse, there's Mm -hmm. no reason to micromanage. You can influence the product at the end if that's what you need. But if you give simple direction, most people can do what you need them to do if you've properly motivated them. You know, I heard a story sometime back. Uh, there was, uh, if you, you both remember Estep, right? Yes. He had said to me, he said one time he remembers you from Hawaii. He said, he's not the guy he was then. He's like, when I saw him there and what I remember him was just some big barrel chested ranger just <laughs> blasting a bunch of soldiers. What made you change that, like that type of attitude? Oh, wow. That is uh, one of the highlights of my career, believe it or not. Really? I had a sergeant major who came to be my mentor come to me and say, I don't understand why you have to yell to get your point across because you're one of the smartest people I know. Hmm. So we went to lunch that day and I said, I don't understand. And he said, they're going to do what you tell them, whether you yell or whether you just talk normal. So why do you feel like you have to yell? And the truth of the fact was that I was imitating what I had seen all along. So I realized that I could change leadership styles. I could change who I was without changing 
my personal being and my beliefs. And, and that's part of the problem that we have with change is that we believe that when we change a method, it changes who we are. And that's not necessarily true. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The well, episode yeah. the episode hasn't come out yet about influencing change. Actually, we actually have it scheduled to come out. It'll be around the 26th of March, but influencing change. And exactly, you're right, because it's being able to adjust in a certain way. Because you're also one of our master resilience trainers, too. Yes. Um, and that was a challenge for me. Really? I think that I was a half... Uh, I, I wasn't always a half full guy. So I was a half empty guy. The glass is half empty. Mm-hmm. But when I went to master resiliency training and some things that happened before then had already started the change. Um, so I think that change is also, is absolutely good. It's absolutely good. I think that we give change a bad name. Really? Because we always think change causes us more work or it's not going to work. And one of the books that um, I'm reading now, The, the Coaching Habit, talks about goals. And you, you and I talked about this mm-hmm. last week. One of the things we didn't do really well when we redid our program was we didn't set goals or milestones that everyone could see. We could see them because we developed the yeah. program. Right, but we needed to make it larger so everyone in the organization could see the goals. Yeah, I think I think we actually spoke about that episode about how we kind of we wish we there were tweaks we wish we could have made. Although we felt it was successful, there was just certain things that needed to be done, and and that's you know, and that's how you create that influence for that change, or you help others become resilient for change. I also think that if you go back and you think about this, we could influence so many more people. If we put that goal, that carrot to say mm-hmm. in front of them, so they see the end state instead of "I just want you to do this." Yeah, it, it, you're always going to ask that same question: Why? It, why comes up all the time? It, why? You know, and is why bad? Well, it's bad if yeah, you're getting shot at. By the way, he's the one we've always talked about. Where why are you stressed out? You're not being shot at. Those of you who was wondering. Um, Absolutely, but- my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but that's it. I mean, we're going to ask why. And there are certain instances where why cannot be asked. Why is it's just it's one of those things where you get understanding and you get of uh, you get emotion, you get feeling, you get you, you'll get things to help you establish how it has to go about. What you got, Ed? Well, so in the other thing, so I got a couple of things. First of all, any chance I get to quote the to Tom, uh, we talk about the change, <laughs> the change that Rick went through and. And one time we were going to lunch and I remember sitting in the car waiting on uh, Rick to come out. And Tom says, I don't know what happened to that guy. That guy was hard as woodpecker lips. <laughs> and ever since then, I love that saying. He's like, that guy was hard as woodpecker lips. Now he's running around here like that. Uh, but, but think about when he came in, right? So he came in in 83. So he still has some Vietnam era leadership. And in that time frame, and even when I came in originally in 91, there was no why. You just executed. But that's one of those changes the Army's gone through in the military period that we've we've all become understand now. These young soldiers, they want to know why they're doing something. Back then, if you said why, you might get punched in the mouth. Like, that's just how the Army was. 
Do you remember those times? I remember getting choked by my squad leader because asking why. See? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely different. <laughs> it's Take way that. different now. Take that, Simon Sinek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, he was about 6'2". Never forget him for my whole life. I, why are we doing that? And he grabbed me around the throat. I had my yellow wool PTs on. And he picked me he picked me up off the floor. I weighed about 150 pounds. And he said, if you ever ask me why again, it'll be the last question you ask. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I ever asked why again. That and, was definitely a different army. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we, we, from those experiences, we grow. Yeah. So when he said, attack that hill, there was no thought about it. It was attack that hill, shoot that target, shoot that target. Right, exactly, and, and but I mean, I think, and we still get the we get those same uh, same type of soldiers nowadays too. I mean, where they'll ask why, but if you tell them, hey, you need to attack, they they'll you know they do it. It's just we have a different. There's just a different mentality. Um, I don't think the soldiers are different. I just think the mentality is different because I, some I, of them I look agree. just as tough and just as rugged as then. But, I, I I definitely agree. Yeah, it's it's just how we go about it and how we got our message to them. Ed, you got anything? Yeah, no, the why is, I mean, it's good to tell your soldiers why. Um, but, you know, like like he, in certain jobs, so special operations, something like that, the infantry, if you're kicking in doors and you're in downtown Baghdad, there might not be time for why. But I think those soldiers are good at understanding that. And I think a lot of it is soldiers today are a lot more educated than what we were. So nowadays, it's hard to find people who don't have a little bit of college where when I came in the army, it was rare to find a, a NCO or a sergeant with college. So that's why they're asking why they want to understand, okay, I'm doing this, but what's the purpose of this? Like, I want to know what the end state is and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and that's one of the things I had to change too. Cause initially I was that guy that was like, Oh, why? Cause I told you to do it. Uh, I have more rank on my collar than you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the whole, cause I'm in charge of thing. But, but then again, now, when we look at it, if you give them a why or you give them a, a reason behind some type of task, you can create an ownership for them if you do it correctly. And that's the whole key. And I've seen it before where somebody will come into Rick's office and they want to know, well, why we're doing X, Y, Z. And then he kind of what you were saying, uh, kind of shift it to where they own now that project a little bit more. Uh, it was just recently, I, I want to say it was about some videos and somebody mm -hmm. kept coming in. I mean, we were sitting there talking because that's pretty much where I hang out now. <laughs> uh, but we we sit there talking and this same guy kept coming in and he probably came in three, four times asking questions. And it was just, and you could tell it, it was kind of annoying it a little bit, but it wasn't really because the guy was really trying to get a good solid answer and understand what he was supposed to do. But I, I think after that third time or fourth time, he was just like, oh, okay, I, I see what you're yeah, saying. You know. Well, yeah. it, it's not necessarily our job to think for people because everyone has a mind and can think. Yeah. It's our job to give them that direction. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell you – if I have to tell you A, B, C, D, I could just do it. But if I give you A and B and you connect C and D – then the next time you have to do a project, you have the ability to use what you've learned or you can pass it on to someone else. Yes. And, and that's, a, you know, and that's key. Like if somebody's wanting to become a better influencer in, in other people's lives is 
are you influencing them because you're giving them the answers and you're telling them what will happen, what needs to happen by telling them all the steps? Or are you influencing them by asking the right questions for you them to give you the answer you want? I think that and, and that's key. I mean, that's what uh, we've kind of talked about a few times on here before with how you influence people better. Ed? Yeah. So one of the things he taught Miss uh, that Rick taught me. So I've seen people come in to ask those same questions, and then I've seen him give them questions back to the point where they 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 realize they knew the why all along. He'll qu- ask them, "Well, what about this? What about that? What did you think about this?" And all of a sudden, you'll, they'll have that aha moment, like, "Okay, now I know why we're doing that. I've known the whole time. He's done it to me." And I think that's a, I like that. I thought it was a very, um, a very important skill to have. So instead of me telling you saying, Hey, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing it because of this. Well, what if we don't do it? What if we do this? What if we do that? And I've seen them do it. And I thought that's an excellent skill to have as a, as a leader. Another one I think I will tell you is that I think the harder you are on the individual, it makes everything else easier. And I'll give you an example. When we trained up everyone to get ready for the new curriculum and teach ELM, it was very hard on them. But every person that has come back from school mm-hmm. has complimented how well we do with training our instructors. They're all just flabbergasted that when they go, mm-hmm. the people don't know as much as they know. Yeah, because they because how in-depth we went about it and whatnot. Yes. Uh, Crawford just came back. And he was like, they had no clue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't. I'm actually. I'm trying to set something up with Crawford too to kind of get a little. But yeah, he he was like, this is it is a whole other beast out the side of what we do. He's like, the things that we're doing is far beyond what others are doing, and it's to make life easier for the rest of us. And in the future, so when you leave working here, you're going to work at another schoolhouse sometime, or you're going to train soldiers. So if you can perfect this mm-hmm. system of how to do it, mm-hmm. when you get out there. You can do the same thing and you'll be good at it. I just don't want you to be average. I want you to be good. And if you and good takes practice, rehearsal, and your time and effort. And if I can influence you to do that so you can be better, mm-hmm. then I think we've done what we need to do for our instructors. Yeah, no, I so I agree too. When you say, you know, it make it hard and it makes it easier, well, think about it. So all of us understand weapons. So is if I'm making a sword or if I'm making a knife, is that an easy process or is it kind of a violent process? Beating the steel, heating the steel, beating the steel, right? But at the end, you have this strong uh, uh, weapon. And it's the same thing with teaching the, the cadre when we were there. It was hard on them at first. And then they hit that aha moment and then they got easier. And uh, one of the my mentees that's the same uh, occupation as myself when she went to her senior leader course, she came back and said they was doing ELM, but I'm not sure what ELM they were doing. And they had asked her to calm down. So <laughs> because when she so when she did her briefing that she had to do, they literally was like nobody, nobody in the class wanted to follow her because she taught the way we had ingrained in them to teach. And they were like, yeah, I don't want to go after her. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's funny. Um, and, and I want to kind of hit upon this a little bit, but we've talked about how the influence has been within the realm that we've worked together and, and whatnot. But not only do you influence those there, but also here at home, because we just had a conversation the other day, how well your daughter is doing in school. I mean, you showed me the grade. I was like, goodness, she is a, I mean, she's very smart, but what you're doing is you're instilling that same drive 
through your influence, <laughs> but oh, you do it in a positive manner. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so one of the things that we have to learn is what motivates people. So again, if motivating, if you find that motivator, you can influence someone. Hey. So I know what motivates her because I actively listen to what she says, when she, what's important to her. So if you, it's, it's what anything, if you can find out what's important, then you can influence. Now with her, for an example, she loves her time in the gym. She loves her time reading. Mm-hmm. So if I need something, I either have to one, take that away, or I have to enhance that. And do you find, let me ask you this, because as a, I have younger children, and when you think about that, if you enhance it, do you get a better product than if you take it away? It just depends on what it is. Really? It just depends on what it is. Um, if I tell her, I told her the other day, I need to take this Christmas gift to the library and, mm-hmm. and, and take it. Uh, and she did. So uh, she did that on her own, mm-hmm. her free time. So what I did is I said, well, what I'm going to do is um, you're going to this friend miss thing. I'm going to give you three gift cards. So when you guys play a game, somebody will get that. She was like, well, you didn't have to do that. I really kind of enjoyed talking to the librarian because she sits behind us at church. So the only time they talk is at church or they do their eyes over some tradition or something that hasn't worked correctly Mm -hmm. in the church. And so they got to spend an hour. Now, what that's really done is it's influenced her with the librarian and the librarian with her. So when she comes back one day to get married, she's going to talk to her. When she comes back to town after she goes away from college, she's going to go back and talk to a different generation of Mm -hmm. people and then tell them what her life is like now, which is good for the community. Yeah, absolutely. So, So there's a bigger picture that she didn't see. Also, she doesn't know everything, just like I don't. But now she knows that, oh, I enjoyed going to talk to Mary for uh, an hour. She's 65. She's 16. We wouldn't think that they would have a whole lot in common. But you, you're, it's funny because you don't realize how much the younger generation does learn from the much older generation in a sense. Yes. And, and, and I, I definitely want to take a side note here is if you become friends with the Williams family, you get gifts. So all, <laughs> all of you need to become friends with the Williams family. No. So, so I want to, I, I got to, because uh, she was, you know, his daughter was struggling with this driving thing. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. a good point. And, and I remember him telling me, so I told her she's going to go to driving school and, the classes are on the days when she goes to the gym and during her gym time. So she's either going to get in that car and start driving or she's going to have to go to driver's training and it's going to take her time out the gym. So how did that end up, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> well, from the time she got back from her grandparents in July until uh, October 18th, she drove every single day <laughs> to and from the gym. And she successfully got her driver's license and she drives every day now. So it, again, you're, you're 100% correct. It was one of those things. I had to find the motivation for why she needed to drive. Cause I couldn't just tell her you're going to gain so much independence mm-hmm. that you're going to enjoy it. She couldn't understand that because it's not something she had ever had. Right. Yeah. And now she's like, I don't understand how people don't have driver's license. Yeah, it's, it is. That's a funny. That's a funny comment to say because I remember in high school wrecking 
I had a, a 1988 Chevy Chevette and I wrecked it and I was without it. And I didn't have, and I thought my world had ended. I literally thought I had, I, I can't do anything now, you know? And so I learned to respect that. So that's a, that's a great point to make. And, and then how about basically how you went about influencing her to gain that. And she did, you know, and now it's like that she's, you know, she basically able to pick from tons of different schools that she may be able to go to because, but she's working her tail off for that every yes. single day. Yes. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. But you got Ed. No. So yeah, I've met his daughter a few times and she is, she's absolutely an amazing person and uh, kind of sticking with the theme of our show. So another way to influence people is through fear. So I was wondering if Rick would tell us about, <laughs> about the poster at the school and her grades. Uh, so I have, I will tell you, I have two brilliant kids. That's a little, uh, braggadocious. Yeah, sorry. We didn't bring up your son and he is very, don't get me wrong. Rick's son is just as, it was just, we relate close to the daughter because (laughs) she's she's, here. Yeah. She's still here with it. She's still here. Yeah. So my son, uh, state, uh, 10 times state champion in soccer, uh, soccer player of the year for the state, uh, high school has a poster of him in the school <laughs> and uh, he made a bet with his sister last year, might've been a year and a half ago, new year's that if she got a B, he would have that if he, she would have to bow to this poster every day while <laughs> she goes to school for the next two years. But if she didn't get a B, he would pay for her to go to France for the summer. So that has been an internal <laughs> motivator for her because she definitely would not want to bow to that poster. And she's put her game up a little bit because she told him, I'm not going to get anything below a 97 while I'm in high school and I'm going to be valedictorian. Uh, you know, by, <laughs> by what I saw the other day and you showed me, um, I don't think she's getting anything below a 101, okay? Uh, because... <laughs> Those were very impressive grades. I was like, what? Because I, I don't know if we should talk about your grades when you were young. But oh, no. Um, we're they, were, they weren't anywhere above 85. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny, though, how we've gone, have you gone through your life and you're able to – you say, okay, this is important. This is key. I at least need to instill it in my children because I realized it and now they are realizing it. And that's a big part of your influence as a parent. I, I think that we – it's a life learned lesson because like you said, when I went to high school, it wasn't, it was a social event. It mm-hmm. really wasn't to learn mm-hmm. everything. And now it's, I need you to get good grades so you can do better in life. Yes. Not to say that I haven't had a great life. I'm just saying, so you can do better. And one of the things that we're influencing is what college she wants to go to. So we did the same thing with my son. You know, the first year of high school, 25 schools. Pick 25 schools you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Sophomore, you break it down to 15. June, and then the sophomore year to the junior year, we start visiting and checking them off. So there's a plan. They don't always know the plan, mm-hmm. but there's a plan in place to get them. And regardless of how the plan's going to go, because we don't know, she's going to be influenced by something on that campus. And I think oh, when you when you go to visit? When we go to visit. Because my son fell in love with Georgetown, the campus. Um, and I think just putting him in that position for them to make healthy decisions 
people don't understand that's part of influencing too. Oh yes, absolutely. And, and but what I like, I got out of that too. Is like what you're talking about is, is this plan. They may not see the overall plan quite yet, but as time uh, goes by, it will reveal itself to them. But they're actually getting something. They're getting something out of it along the way. They're they're getting a learning piece, and they're part of the plan. They just don't realize it. Like there's never a thought that my daughter said she wasn't going to college. It wasn't that I, mean, I don't know that college is for me. She's like, which Ivy League school am I going to? <laughs> wow, that's 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 it. That's it. And and Ed will tell you. She's like, I'm going to an Ivy League school. That's just who I, I said. You know, you know, you can go to Vanderbilt. I can, but only if I don't get into an Ivy League school. Right. <laughs> hey, that's it's insane. It, you you find you know as a parent you realize that that's that's where you want that's where you want the most of your focus of being an influencer in a sense because you want to see them achieve but yours has gone beyond that you've you've, you've created it's like you have these uh circles of you know circles of area that you work in so you got that that main nucleus at home and then you go out a little bit further it's probably say some fa- other family members or those that you consider as closest family uh and then a little bit further out then it's the soldiers you affect and then there's your community, and, and I mean, it just keeps going and going, but your methods do not change. That, and I agree with that. Um, I would tell you that you influence people every day, whether you're nice or mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to say something positive to someone every day. I believe that. Just like I try to read something every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's that's something I've heard about probably, I don't know how many years now. Well, there's been a few years that I've heard. That every day you go into work and you say you pull up something that you want to read and you'll read about that before you start your major interactions so you can gain some type of new learning and knowledge. Yes. That's, uh, that's and that right there, that's that's a challenge we want to give to you as listeners also. Think about that. Every day he goes in and he gets he grabs an article, maybe a chapter of a book, maybe it was an email that seemed to be important. But every day, if you can pick out something to start your day off with reading. You know, that's read about something that's going to teach you something new. So we're going to we're going to post that up um, on the Facebook page when it comes time, when this episode is released of what is it that you're going to try to do each day at first thing in the morning to help you become a better you so you can influence others. So just a caveat on that. Remember, last week we walked in and we were reading about emotional intelligence. It's funny you say that because that's an episode that's coming out in the future. I've already sent <laughs> I sent it to Ed. Um, we just did the uh, well when we recorded the influencing change. We used that article you gave me as the basis, and we built off of that. But do you remember the conversation when I was highlighting what I was reading? I wasn't highlighting the things that I was good at. Yes, I highlighted the things that I thought I needed to improve in. And I think that's where we get lost sometimes when we don't do self-assessments and say, this is what I do well. This is what I can improve on. Yes, exactly. Um, and that was and that was funny that you brought that conversation. Ed, I wish you were there for this because it really was a good conversation. We literally dissected that paper and we took pieces here and there and we talked about it. And then, you know, what I took away, I literally left that day feeling a little bit smarter about a subject that I wanted. And then I said, I think I got this book. And then I, the first thing I did when I got home, one, I gave the paper to my wife because she, I said, you might like this. You know, she's trying to get her degree. Um, she's going to school. I can't remember what it's for. Jay, oh, I feel bad. Um, shame. Yeah. That would I be know. edited. I'm a, I'm a horrible <laughs> person. But um, 
But then I went upstairs to do some show planning because uh, I was going to be recording with Ed a little bit later. And as I was, I looked down and there's the book that we had just talked about, Emotional Intelligence, uh, Daniel Golden or Gold, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to say. And I mean, it was just, wow. And now what do I want to do? I want to go through that book and I want to highlight. But it all started with one little conversation that we had mm-hmm. and now it shifted through. Yeah, you know, I, I so I've already read that article and actually the article because I was anticipating that it was either either Shives or uh or Rick. Um I had the article sitting right here in front of me, and it's crazy because we did a, a, a exercise at work about empathy, and it, I actually have written next to it, I highlighted the end of it and said, struggle with this at times. Because sometimes sometimes that's one I struggle as yourself. Yes, that's one that Yep, that's one that I put down. You know, he was saying he was reading it and highlighting things that for about him. And I did the same thing. I highlighted it and there's ones that I'm like, okay, this not always, I'm not always the greatest at self-regulation or I struggle with uh, empathy at times. So it's a good article. I look forward to that episode. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one because well, uh, the conversation will definitely hit upon all those different areas. Uh, matter of fact, we just had the, uh, post not too long ago. And I think empathy was a big thing that was brought up by others. Um, so with that, uh, we talk about, so we've talked about like your early, earlier in life. Uh, we talked about like the, you know, the different types of trainings that you were a part of. And we also talked about like how that's affected your home life. Um, let's, let's, I want to dive a little, just a little bit into the actual training that you're, you're in, in charge of. It's called the, the CFDIC or the Common Faculty Development Instructor Course. And this is where others are trained and taught how to become instructors slash facilitators. With that, what do you think you've made probably one of the big influences of that that you've received from the way that course is now being taught? I think the biggest thing that I can tell you my takeaway is the freedom of being able to add your experience in Mm -hmm. and not being a chalk or a so directed that you don't get any input from your mm-hmm. uh, students. I think that's, and I think we're getting towards where we understand now that beliefs, that the values and behaviors are part of who you are. So that experience has to be brought into it, whether it's an ethical decision and you let emotion take charge or whether it, you didn't have empathy. But now we can discuss that in the classroom to make us better leaders better facilitators and understand why we do things. And it's creating that discussion unlike the old version where it was just like, all right, pay attention. I'm going to talk, 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 talk. And now, but now we actually create, people are talking in the classroom. And we can learn from everyone. That's something that Mm -hmm. the army didn't think about 10, 15 years ago. It's you're the subject matter expert. I'm going to teach you everything I know. Mm -hmm. Whereas here today we go, give me your experience and we'll fit it into what we're talking about. So if you've never had, a, if you're a specialist and you and you don't see that you've ever been a leader, mm-hmm. let's go back to the time you were at McDonald's and you were the head fry cook. <laughs> you were a leader. We just didn't put it in those terms for you. Yes. So yeah. you do have experience. Now let's relate it to the leadership model. Let's relate it to counseling. Uh, someone told you you were getting promoted. That's a counseling. They didn't just walk up and give you money. They told you you're gonna. These are your new duties, and this is what you have to do to get this money. But we didn't label it that, yes. so they don't see it as labeling. Now we can use that experience mm-hmm. in what we're doing. Yeah, it's not. It's not uh, drawing those fine 
like distinct lines, it's allowing you to blur things a little bit to, uh, to create an association. And those of you uh, listening, what we're trying to get, what we're getting about when we talk about this is the, uh, it's called the experiential learning model. And what we, what we found out by, uh, who was that author again, uh, that designed, that designed that, or the, he gets the most credit for it. Um, is it Kolb? Yes. Kolb. Yes. Kolb. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure I, um, I'll put it in the show notes, a link to the book that, uh, we get a lot of this from, but what you don't realize is as an influencer, you can actually use this experiential learning model to help you influence others by creating that dynamic conversation. Because when you create a conversation and a Joe can learn from Ann and Ann learns from Peter, and then you have used the right questioning and active thinking to get more out of it, you what you re- don't realize is you're going to create and induce a, a creative thinking in the mind that they're, they're going to start thinking outside the box. So you need more production? Well, create a conversation and you're going to get more production over time. It's just going to take a little bit. Um, if you if you uh, you need more um, people to join your group, well, you create a conversation and they're going to join your group. By the way, I'm going to throw that out there. You're going to look. You're going to search for one zero one influence <laughs> on your search bar of the Facebook group and become part of the closed Facebook group, so you can actually be a part of the conversation. Because we're actually using some of the same methods and styles to create conversations in that Facebook group so you can understand and help, and it'll help you become a better fluence possibly. You know, you may learn something and you don't re- realize it. Um, what do you got, Ed? Well, so I, I, I listened to some advice from you, uh, and I went and found me some uh, extra work to do here, and I'm going to be teaching the Master Resilience Training two-day class to all in-processing people in my area. Um and so I've been doing homework, and my homework is, yeah, I'm not teaching the way them slides are laid out. I'm teaching an ELM. So I've been <laughs> developing because I'm like, I, you know, I went, so I've been to some of these uh, in-processing classes. And it's like, man, I haven't consumed so many monsters in a long time, uh, and I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so they actually had me guest speak at the last MRT class, and the new instructor, she's taken over so that she was there doing her shadowing. And she says, we had a guest speaker two times a day, every day for two weeks, and none of them kept the class as engaged as you. And all I did is I did what I, you know, Mr. Rick knows me to do. I put a little humor in there, made a couple of jokes, uh, you know, and I was telling a story about my incident as my resilience. And and I went to MRT during that time. So I went to the master resilience class while I was with a broken leg because they said, well, you can't teach, go to class. Um yeah, so I've been looking into it because it's so much discussion that comes from that learning style, and it makes the class better. And when uh, Rick and I first started teaching it, I think our very first class, I taught all day long. And I went into his office, and I said, I think I owe the government money. <laughs> and he says, what? I said, I feel like they taught all day. But that's the basis of it, is for their interaction, their experience to guide the class i said i feel like i didn't even teach today <laughs> so it was it was ironic it was funny i mean to me but yeah i i love it i love that class i really miss teaching too i think my response that day was if you feel like you didn't teach you did the right thing yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good that's exactly right because as much as we've gone over it's just you you just you just keep pounding it, pounding it. If listen, don't be talking all the time. Allow them to speak, and you're going to see that class is going to flow. Now, 
it, and we talked about this. We've talked this about before. Is that person who's facilitating that class? You're just kind of like that that little wall that they're going to hit and bounce off of and go back the other direction. We're going to create this little wave, and the wave is going to get smaller, and smaller till we get to that point of where you need to be in the end. Yeah, I I really like the the ratio eighty twenty, and I want y'all to remember that eighty twenty. If you're teaching eighty percent from your class, twenty percent from you. You lead the discussion. Don't dominate it. Sage on the stage. You are not the sage on the stage anymore. And it, it makes the conversation. And, you know, we've said before, uh, when you're having a conversation, you should listen twice as much as you speak and you'll know twice as much. You'll know what you know and you'll know what they know now. So if you just close your mouth and listen, you you will learn more and you'll be able to have a better impact and uh, influence on somebody. So one of the things I've gauged and I've learned over the last year and a half is I look at the class at the end of the day. Does everyone get up and leave or are they still talking about what was being taught in the class? And now we're winding up having to kick students out of our class an hour and a half afterwards. Ooh, that breaks your rule. I thought there was a 60 minute rule. <laughs> there, there is. And uh, we have to tell them. Uh, you have to go home. You can come in early, but you have to go home. <laughs> so we're, that's something that we've, we've seen. The more we let the students uh, talk and develop the discussions, the more they go in depth, they critically think. And we don't just get the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Yeah. That, and that, and that's it. You know, it's, it's being able to develop them in such a manner um, with that. We, we definitely have gone over each little piece and area, but one, one of the questions that we like to ask, and it's and obviously this is uh, before we finish the show type of thing, I actually wrote it down for you. So I'm going to hand it to you. You can think about it as we kind of okay. wind down. But what we've learned from you is how to affect others in influencing different influencing ways because when we first learned from you, it was one way. When we learned from you later, it was another. Uh, with that, the question we asked you there is, Three influencers you've had in your life and why? So the first one, I think, would be education. Uh, I think that we underestimate the value of education in our day-to-day lives. We think it's something that we have to do, and then we drop it and it's over with. Not realizing part of change is being re-educated. So if you can make that analogy, then you can help influence people. I think the next biggest influencer uh, is my wife, believe it or not. (laughs) And the reason I say believe it or not is because most people don't know a lot about my wife, but Mm -hmm. she is the person that's really positive. And it's really hard to be a negative person if you're with someone positive because it just kind of rubs off. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that, and I think that, the other one is going to surprise you. I think it's the army was a big influencer. And the reason I say that is because no matter how long you're in or involved with the army, you have the ability to either be influenced mm. or influence people. Mm-hmm. And Ed will tell you, he sent me an email last week and asked me a question. Yeah. Um, about about a job and that was my information for that morning that was my reading for that morning and you remember the question yeah yeah because we actually we talked about it and you said hey read this and i'm like i read it and i was like 
Yeah, makes sense. And I and I sent the so external influence, and then internal influence. It influenced me to do a good job because someone respected my opinion. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would say education, my wife, and the army, and I left out religion for uh, uh, for a reason because mm-hmm. it's had a huge influence mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. Huge. Um. But I think that in my life, religion has been like a wavelength. It goes up and down, up and down. Right. And I think a lot of people uh, mistake that as not believing instead of understanding it's just a part of life you're in. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's where your eyes are focused at the time. And sometimes we get, we get completely focused off, off, off course and not realize it. And then we're back on course. So I agree. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ed, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? Yeah. I like that. You know, when we, when we asked that question, I like that he went with, you know, the army and he didn't just go with people. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and I've only met his wife, I think once or twice w- once she was eating. So I didn't really get to interact, but uh, <laughs> absolutely one of the nicest people you meet. But that daughter, that daughter is probably the nicest person you'll ever meet and just smart. So we gave her uh, all the little tasks that we give to our students, you know, the little brain teasers and stuff. And she completed those things so fast and compared to these adults. And, uh, you know, and then it reminds me of, of we got to go back to the Tom and him saying, She's going to be a president, machine gun. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no, I'm thankful for him coming on here. I'm glad it was him. I do uh, like to talk to Shives, but I'm glad it was him. <laughs> uh, it, well, you know, if Shives comes on, we may have to like take and get rid of the microphones and have him stand in the yard and scream it because you know how loud he is. <laughs> how uh, he teaches. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of cool because we've seen a different side. Like, for instance, um, when we had Jeff on, Jeff gave us three influencing people where you gave us, you gave us an inanimate object to in it in a sense you, you know education well education how is that you know how is that an influencer one and then and then you said the, the uh, your wife which was a person and then the army which is another thing that's huge i mean it's and and that's why i wanted that's why i said earlier you may have not directly trained a hundred thousand soldiers yourself which i'm i don't know it might be close <laughs> but the wavelengths so you're that rock that got thrown in the pond. When that pond, that rock hit that pond, it created those waves. Those waves went all the way to the shore. They always do. It's just how big are the waves? How big was your rock? You know, and that's what I. That's where. That's why I said that you don't realize the uh, magnitude sometimes of what you do and say. And it's like every time we, you know, I guarantee you, there's people out there who know you from you know, the ranger school side, and they'll remember that ranger instructor, but they don't know you as this instructor where we know the opposite. And it'd be cool to have conversations with people like that. So it's definitely been uh, a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you for having me on. I think this is going to be a highly uh, successful podcast. I will, when we take the headphones <laughs> off, go to the Facebook page oh, and yeah. make sure that I become a member. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely growing. Uh, we we just had a, a question posted the other day, and, and I think you're gonna like the question. Uh, I'd love to see your response because it's it's pretty good. But um, yeah, we you know 
we want it to be bigger and, and to be able to create that community. And that's what this whole thing is about is to meet new people, meet new things, learn new things, lifelong learning to create a better influence in society in just general. Um, but remember that what he said, check out that one zero one influence on your Facebook uh, search bar. You're going to go in and you're going to see where it says visit group, where it says visit group, click on that button, answer the three questions. And one of us will, uh, one of the three administrators or four administrators will, uh, will uh, approve you. Uh, with that also, remember, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find the both of us. You can, you'll be able to subscribe to the show if you're not already subscribed, which you should be if you're listening to this, but you can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And we're going to try to research and see if there's other ones we can become a part of. Ed, you got anything, brother? Yeah, no, this was uh, this was a great conversation. It was informative. Uh, I've learned a lot about Rick in the time that I worked with him, and I, I learned some more today. So, yeah, it's interesting. All right. Well, with that, we're going to end the show. Uh, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day.